This is a podcast review from Anne K620. She says, this podcast has absolutely, positively, 100% changed my life. It has transformed this recovering striver, over-exerciser, and restrictor to someone who looks forward to moving her body as a get-to and a way to connect with the one who made her. It has completely ruined how and why I work out in the best way. I have discovered the God who has been by my side the whole time, just waiting for me to look up and notice. Thank you, Elisa. Well, and K620, thank you for leaving that podcast review. Please email info at revelationwellness.org. We are going to send you a Love Greater Than Fear package, and you too could win a Love Greater Than Fear package. Leave a podcast review. It is the way that iTunes and all the places recognize this as a podcast of good use. So thank you for those of you who have left a review and I haven't read it on air. I promise I have read them and they are the wind in our sail here at Revelation Wellness. So thanks again to Anne for leaving a review. And today I'm introducing you to Deb Gorton, uh, Dr. Deb Gorton. She is the author of Embracing Uncomfortable. This is all about facing our fears while pursuing our purpose. She has written a book to help us. This is right up our alley, right? We are the people who get comfortable being uncomfortable. In the book, uh, she helps you recognize what to do to find purpose and joy, to develop courage, to accept your situation as it is, and to have the courage to move forward. So talking with Deb was a blast. Uh, actually, one thing that really stuck out with me is she talks about, she lives in Chicago, and how she began to walk. And it was in walking, just going for walks, embracing the discomfort of even on the coldest of days, sticking to her routine of going and walking to work helped her face her fears, helped her to process what was going on inside of her. And she noticed the difference between the days that she walked and if she didn't walk. You guys, isn't that true? This is the brain science, the neuroscience that's happening when we move our bodies. And that helps us to relieve the tension in our body so that we can soften to embrace uncomfortable. We don't need to try harder, just like Anne said. We need to cease striving so we can do uncomfortable things. Anne is telling us that, and today we are gonna hear that from Deb Gordon. So I hope it blesses you. Let us know, leave a review, share it on the socials. If you liked it, know somebody that comes to mind. And be sure to get uh, Anne's book, Embracing Uncomfortable, as well as embracinguncomfortable.com. You can find out more there. All right, you guys, thanks again for hanging out. I hope you enjoy this podcast and we will talk again soon. Peace. Okay, well, Revelation Wellness uh, community and friends and, and donors, I'm so excited to uh, get to talk with Deborah today. You guys, Deborah is the author of a book that just released today as we're recording this. So you guys will probably be hearing this a week or so later, but it is called, you're all gonna love this because you are, Deborah, our people, we have a saying, and I'm sure you've probably heard it before, comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're people that move our bodies and realize that, you know, sometimes there's discomfort. So comfortable being uncomfortable, her title of her book is Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Fears, while pursuing our purpose. So if there was ever someone to talk, uh, to bring on the show and talk to, it's you, Deborah. So welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I am very familiar with that phrase and I've been to practice a lot lately. A lot, a lot, a lot. Okay, well, tell people where you are right now, uh, kids, family, what do you got? Just a little bit about your life. Absolutely. So I live in downtown Chicago. Um, we are having quite the uh, adventurous ride right now as, as uh, coming through the coronavirus and uh, people are protesting um, mm-hmm. you know, the tragic loss of George Floyd's life and so many other um, people of color. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am a full-time professor at Moody Bible Institute. I teach mm-hmm. counseling there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm single, but my family is a huge priority. They live in Arizona and Colorado. And so I'm hoping to go visit them soon. Um, well, don't come too soon. It's <laughs> summer. You know, you know better than that. Like they, we should be coming to you maybe. What, yeah. So what, tell me what part of Arizona I, my, my brother and his family live out in Surprise, but we yeah. grew up in Phoenix and then Scottsdale area, went to high school in Arizona, graduated from Arizona State, so Arizona is like home for me. My goodness, it must be quite a shock sometimes, Chicago, those winters. God yeah. bless you. God bless you. <laughs> Talk about uncomfortable. There's your, like, pretty much put me in the center of a snowstorm somewhere. <laughs> I could write a dissertation on embracing uncomfortable, maybe, if I don't collapse in a puddle and cry. Like, <laughs> that is, that's a lot. You are, you're one, one good woman following God's call in your life out there. Okay, so Deborah, tell us uh, why, why this book what was what was the um impetus yeah you know there's a lot of things that came into play when writing the book um i think for me before the book idea actually birthed um a huge part of my journey was that and i talk about this in the book that um almost 12 years ago now my my mom tragically took her own life and mm-hmm. for me a lot of my false identity and as a psychologist a lot of the clients I work with we talk about this concept of false identities in our lives and mine was this this thought that I was a fixer that I could fix people's problems and um, my family in particular every family has problems we weren't um, absent of that and so for me when you know kind of the ultimate non-fixable problem occurred it really shattered that identity. And I was faced at a crossroads with one of two things, just kind of give up, throw in the towel, um, or sort it out. And God provided people in my life to come alongside me through my own counseling. Um, I really started to confront this misplaced identity. And the hard part was, as I started to really pursue what was true to me, I found it was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but then, I also started seeing it in my own clients' lives that what they really wanted, what they really valued, but the choices that they made every day were very incongruent with one another. Mm. And it was really because of this in you know immediate fear or discomfort in stepping into these places that weren't natural or uh, familiar. Mm. Man, that's so it's I have the same story of like having clients and you know, you start unraveling yourself and then you start to see it in someone else going, oh, this is a bigger discussion. This is a bigger thing we're talking about than just, you know, how do I get this job or do the next thing? Like, where's our core? What's the core thing driving us? Where's it all coming from? That's so huge. Uh, You talk about in the book how you, um, is it that you were like, inside of like going and achieving, right? So false identity gets us to pursue false 
dreams and even idols in a way to try and prove it, right? Tell them, tell them a little bit. I, I'm like reading this story going, there's no way. I actually, I still have like flashbacks of college of like, oh my gosh, that was so hard and like tests. And I couldn't imagine being in your shoes and being that far in. So tell a little bit of people about your story of that kind of false identity leading you into a purpose that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was working on my PhD in clinical psychology and there was a comprehensive exam that we had to pass as part of our studies. And I took it early uh, to get it out of the way and I failed. And I was like, all right, you know, jumped in prematurely here. Let me prepare myself and, and actually go into this uh, ready. So I did. So I thought I failed again. Hmm. Seven times I failed. Like, I am quite confident that there is like a plaque <laughs> with the one achievement goal that you never want. <laughs> my um, and, you know, again, it was this idea looking back of I was trying to attain this identity, this false identity of what it meant to be a graduate student, what it meant to be a psychologist and trying to fit into this world and this um and this persona that really wasn't me and so so was the did even as I was reading in the book it sounded to me and maybe I took it wrong that you didn't even really enjoy the like the study or the field or like it didn't fit you at all it just was the thing you were going after to achieve yeah, I, I thought in my mind, this is what I needed to do. And no, I didn't. And, and my graduate program was, was amazing. Like, I, you know, in retrospect, I'm, I think I would go over and do it again. And I loved the school and the professors. It was just that I was looking at everybody else around me and what they were doing and mm. thinking, that's what I needed to do versus being authentically mm. me in the process. Mm. And then the fact that <laughs> don't we do this when we're trying to prove our worth is like, you took the test before you were even really ready to take the test, right? You're just like, it's almost like somebody tell them at least maybe I'll pass. And if not, at least I'll know how bad it is. And then maybe I'll can work to get better instead of, you know, which you talk again about your book about pausing, like just waiting. Like why, why do we, you know, chase after in discomfort sometimes too, just chasing after and getting ahead of ourselves. How often in your life has discomfort led you down like, what's it take like until you go oh I've taken a wrong turn again because I was uncomfortable with myself yeah you know it's interesting I think for me I'm, I'm a very uh, experiential person mm -hmm. and so I actually engaged in this exercise throughout the writing of the book it was something my dad prompted in me he came to visit and he um you know, he's fascinated by big city life. And he's like, let's walk everywhere. And this was in July in Chicago. And I said, well, okay, dad, we can, we can walk everywhere, but it's humid. You're used to the dry heat of Arizona. So let's, you know, he goes, no, no, it's me fine. So we started walking everywhere and we, we walked, he walked me to work one day, which was two miles door to door. And I don't know what, what came into my mind, but I decided after he left, I had such a great experience in this. I'm going to walk to work every day for a year. Yeah. And as you mentioned at the beginning of our talk, there's a huge difference between an Arizona winter and a Chicago <laughs> winter. And come January, I was like, what, what was I thinking? Like, what, yeah. why did that And I would wake up and it's dark and it's cold and my bed is warm and comfortable mm. and that, those extra 20 minutes of sleep. And I, I started thinking, you know, okay, what, what's the big deal? Like, all right, so I skip the month of January or I skip a couple of days when it's super cold. 
And there was this little nudge in my heart, like, no, you made this commitment. You need to just embrace the momentary discomfort of getting out of bed. You can do this. And I did. And after a year, I had this revelation that the discomfort of those days, and and still, I try to walk to work most days, and it's still not always comfortable, Mm. um, whether it's hot or whether I'm tired or whether Mm. I I just don't want to do it. But that momentary discomfort pales in comparison to, I think, the discomfort I would have felt if I hadn't followed through on my commitment. And do you generally, with your walks every day, do you, have you ever got done a walk and then been like, I wish I didn't do the walk? No. Isn't that I, I true? Really yeah. I really yeah. And yeah. so I, I started to see the application. Like in those moments, it's so easy to default to comfort. But after the fact, if we take the time to pause, how often do we go, oh, that decision didn't really align with what's most important to me? Yeah. What do you say to the person who knows they're afraid of the uncomfortable? What do you tell them? Um, I always start with validation. I, I, Mm. I think we're quick to solve problems or try to offer solutions. And it is scary. It is mm-hmm. hard. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, walking is one thing, but, but actually confronting some of the deeper, you know, I think of people who've encountered trauma or brokenness mm-hmm. or, you know, have got something in their life, the thorn in the side, in their side, as, as Paul mm-hmm. talks about in scripture, but um, it, it's, it is hard. So, so validating those emotions, not just at the beginning, but through every step of the process is really critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just begin with validating and kind of being kind to yourself, just being that accepting of what is, that's powerful. We teach that a lot. Um, So much of what you write in your book, by the way, you guys that are listening, it's, it is a really great book. If you're like, I need a little kick in the butt when it comes to, I know I'm supposed to be comfortable with uncomfortable and embrace it, but it still doesn't come firsthand because you give a lot of practical things in the book for people to do, which, which I love. I love a book that doesn't just talk at me, but also invites me into the process. So I love that for sure. How do you know the difference? This is what I was asking, reading your book, going, how, what would you say to someone to know there's a difference between uh, discomfort, like being uncomfortable and the discerning of God saying, no, that's probably not for you. How would you yeah. know the difference? I, I, for me, that's where that root work before even starting the process is really important. And I have some exercises in the book that, that kind of come alongside and help you define your values and, and your purpose. And this is something that I believe a lot of us have an arbitrary sense of, you know, I think we all would say, I, yeah, I have values. But when I ask friends or when I ask clients that question, it's rare that they can just say, these are my values are, up, 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 right? Yeah. Um, Huh, what are my values now that yeah. you really asked me that? And I think that's, that's what really gives us that compass north or that foundation so that we can pause. You mentioned pausing is so critical and we can go, okay, let me think through my decisions and sift them through the lens of my values and purpose. Mm-hmm. If they're not aligning, then why am I making this decision or why am I considering this or why did I do that? Do I need to go back and take responsibility for something? Um, I think that's really critical, you know, and and I also believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to provide discernment in that process too. And and for me, it was a really big part of determining my own values is spending a lot of time in prayer and and scripture reading. Yeah. What does a pause look like for you? 
Well, um, two things. So a couple years ago, one of my assistants actually <laughs> took it upon herself to go into my calendar and type in every day, this little 30 minute space that said Jesus and emails. Jesus and emails. <laughs> Explain. They sound very contradictory right, to me. Right. So she was noticing that my consistent comments throughout the day were that, gosh, I never have enough time for emails and I'm never pausing to check in to see where I'm at with Jesus. And so she goes, okay, I put that in your calendar and you need to expand or add as necessary. And over time, I actually took the email part off and I separated out into its own thing. But I have it actually on my schedule every day. And do you take it every day? I'll say 93% of the time. Okay. What does that, what does that look like? Jesus. Jesus. It might mean I pause and I actually do like even a body scan because I believe Mm. God created us as holistic beings, right? Like we're physical, Mm -hmm. spiritual, emotional, mental. Mm -hmm. Where is my physical body? Is my tense? Am I stressed? Am I distracted? Um, Am I, what is my tone of voice? What is my language? Am I short Mm. with my words? Am I pausing? Mm. I'm not the most patient person. And so that is a huge discipline for me. Mm. I like to check things off a to-do list. I like to get things out of the way. Um, Mm. I might pull up my either my Bible app or pull out my Bible and just quickly read through scripture. I might spend time in prayer. Um, I also have really been intentional in trying to incorporate meditation. And Mm -hmm. I, for me, you know, it's easy to be distracted. I think it's, it's easy for all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I might choose a word or two words to just breathe in and breathe out with. And, you know, I think we can have strict expectations on ourselves for what pausing has to look like yeah there's no prescription for pausing other than it needs to happen it can be one minute I know people you know their kids are are running around the house their spouse is wanting to tell them about their day and when they pull into the driveway they stay in their car for an extra five minutes yeah they go in the bathroom and run the shower yeah Um, yeah yeah I recently did a teaching I we teach a lot of this. this is a lot of what we do here we don't I always tell people, it's not like weight loss and jumping jacks for Jesus. We're trying to get people <laughs> into their bodies to, um, because it's the meeting place, right? This yeah. is where God chooses to dwell. And there's so many beautiful cues our body's trying to tell us. Like you said, often I need to pay attention. I will clench my jaw. Like uh, if I'm just working and stressed or, or furrow my brow a bit and feel the headache. So, so wonderful. Like I feel like it's such a tool for us to be able to find out where we are. But if we don't check in, we don't know. Right. right. Until, yeah. until it's too late, until we've said the words we wanted, didn't want to say or chose to back off of something, assumed it was too much or overwhelm or all those things that storm toss us. So, yeah, I love that you are giving a holistic approach. That's so, so key. Uh, you write on page 50, it's 97, under the discipline pursuit of pausing, which I just love that whole chapter because that's brilliant because often people would think, well, it's uncomfortable take it on, like challenge it and push harder and try harder, go, go after it instead of, wait a minute, let me just come about myself. But you say practicing the discipline of pausing, embracing, uh, embracing intentionality means you set six things. First, identifying and remaining true to our convictions, even in the face of temptation. So good. So that goes back to the core value thing, right? Like, yep. What's the thing that matters to me? Second, acknowledging the role and contribution of others. That's mm-hmm. huge. I want to come back to that. Three, choosing our words carefully. Whew. 
Wait a minute. Let me read that to myself again. Elisa, <laughs> choose your words carefully. I'm an Enneagram 8. I always jump on the What are you, Deborah? Do you I'm know? I'm a 3. Oh, so we have some similar yeah. things. But yeah. yeah, I'm kind of the bull in a china shop sometimes. 4, creating a culture of accountability. 5, demonstrating respect for self and others. And 6, practicing consistency. So all of those fall in the discipline of mm-hmm. pausing. Um, when you say acknowledge the role and contribution of others, what does that look like in a pause? Absolutely. You know, and, and I would say this is probably, and the book isn't necessarily written from, a, from a, an explicitly faith, faith-based angle, although mm-hmm. for me, that's the core of who I am. But mm-hmm. I just, I fully believe that we are designed to be in community. Um, mm. You know, it's, it, it was interesting to see this book launching into the world in such a time as this, where, yeah. you know, we've been isolated from our community for a long time. And especially for me in a major city, we've been on lockdown for almost three months now. And now we're facing um, a, another uh, crisis with the protests happening in response to the um, tragic killing of, of George Floyd. And um, and I believe that our our goals and our purpose, and I and I do think this is true of most people. Like you know, that there's an, a a, des- a deep desire for your values to contribute to the good yeah. of society. Um, and and so I think as we think through what is most important to us, we have to ask the question of: Do my actions, you know, draw people in? Do they build? Yeah. And, and foster community or do in any way do they tear it down um because we are accountable to others in that way and so that that's what I mean by that by that piece um and and it was very formidable for me in writing the book like I was incredibly intentional in reaching out to my community making sure that my community represents diverse voices and thinkers and asking the question does Mm. this resonate with you does Mm. this speak to you um and, and so I just see that as really, really important. Well, it's so true because if you look at these six things you said, because I kind of see as uncomfortable as kind of that wall of fear, right? Whatever mm-hmm. it is that we're called to as purpose in our identity and our purpose, there's a wall of fear. That's where we have an opposition, the world, our own lies. We believe just the line in the sand that says, don't cross this because if you do, it'll not go good for you or it won't work, whatever it is, the line that's in the sand. And in order to break through that line, those six things, identifying your core values, acknowledging that, you know, basically the contribution of others, you can't do it by yourself, choosing our words carefully. But if you look at the flip side of those six things, it's like, what would your life look like? The opposite of that, identifying remaining true to one's convictions means you don't really, you're just kind of flopping around, like whatever the world tells me, that's what I'll go after. The opposite of acknowledging the role and contribution of others means I do it myself. Right. Yep, it's all about me. All, all about me. Take out people are a commodity. Whew. Third, the opposite of choosing our words carefully. Well, we've all done that where we haven't <laughs> chosen our words carefully. And we know that words have power. And yeah. whether they've been spoken over us or if we speak them out, they, they cling. The fourth, creating a culture of accountability. Oh, man, this is that's so good that you said that. Because, again, it goes back to not only do we not do it alone, but we need to allow for feedback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's uncomfortable, right? Oh Who's, my gosh. Woo, who <laughs> wants to be like, yeah, tell me, tell me my flaws, go, you know? 
Well, and it's so true. And it's, it's interesting because you'll see throughout the book, like each step is its own element of discomfort. Yeah, totally. Totally. I yeah. try to continuously encourage the readers like, you've got this, you can do this. I'm doing it too. This is also going to be uncomfortable. We have a saying in our instructor, we, we raise up disciples, leadership, leaders that go out and take this, you know, holistic message in embodiment into their communities. And we call it just diarrhea. Like it's just <laughs> diarrhea. You're going to get it. And good friends give good friends diarrhea. We believe that yeah. firmly. You want friends who are like, you can do this. It's terrible. It sucks so bad. Or gives you the feedback that you go, oh, that didn't feel good. Makes you a little, but they're trustworthy friends. The fifth thing, demonstrating respect for self and others, clearly having no respect and practicing consistency. Let's talk about consistency in the uncomfortable. Well, you already gave us a sample of like, I walk to work every day, even if it's, even if it's a tundra. Like, yeah, <laughs> I do. And, and for me, that, that physical discipline, you know, as we're talking about the holistic mm -hmm. person, mm -hmm. that physical discipline helps my mental and spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, we all think the popular saying is it takes 30 days to create a habit. And it really just takes 30 days to have our awareness grow towards the things that we want to change. Uh, research is now saying it probably takes more like 61 days to, yeah. to create a habit. And so, you know, and, and some of the things I talk about in the book, like the power of dopamine, the pleasure yeah. and how fighting against dopamine is really hard. And so I, I, I always want to give people realistic expectations for the change process and mm -hmm. without consistency, it's really easy to have great intentions that fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Man, that is so true. And I think consistency too can be, it doesn't mean for us, like when I look at the body, people go, well, I didn't do my five miles today. Did you go for a walk? Like, did you do something that said, well, I didn't do all that. Cause that all or nothing principle shows up whenever yeah. uncomfortable shows up. Well, if I didn't do all that, then I'm just not going to do it at all. Instead yeah. of, I failed yeah. or I'm going to give up. I read, yeah. um, you probably know this book. It was a, it's a, it's a book called how to eat to not die or something. It's about how to eat clean and healthy. And, uh, and I read this book and I remember there was a part in the beginning that said transforming your diet in this way to a plant-based diet is really difficult. And yet so many people give up because they start and they fail in the first week. And the mm. challenge was if you eat three meals a day, mm -hmm. think about what 365 days out of a year times three mm -hmm. meals a day is. Mm -hmm. And if you even do this 50% of the time, that's this many meals that you're, you know, yeah. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Simple. Those, you know, if you heard that book, what is it? Atomic Habits, like small oh, yeah. little yep. changes that yeah. BJ Fogg, I think wrote that. Yeah. yeah. Just this little things. And even the Bible says itself, don't despise the little things, little yeah. consistent things add up over time, but consistency. That is, is so cool. Um, talk to me about radical acceptance. Mm. All right. So here's my, my thing with radical acceptance. Um, first of all, it's acknowledging where you're at in the moment. And there's usually two ways in which we get radical acceptance wrong. One is we confuse radical acceptance and resignation. We mm -hmm. see radical acceptance as well. That is what it is. Nothing's ever going to change. And that is not even remotely close to what radical acceptance is. But we have to know where we're launching from. We have to know the things that have impacted us 
to date, the things that we may not like, you know, for me, I never want to accept the reality that my mom is no longer here. And that the way that that occurred was her taking her own life, but denying that reality, minimizing Mm. that reality, um, it doesn't help. And Mm. so I have to sit with and validate the pain of that, but also acknowledge the impact of that. And that's radical acceptance. So it's not resignation. And the second thing is, I think a lot of times we confuse radical acceptance with agreement. Mm. So, you know, we nah. say, well, I accept your circumstance. I'm agreeing with you. No, you're just saying this is what it is in your life right now, or this is what it is in mine. Um, but I'm committing to work on the transformation process. Mm. That's so good. Acceptance versus agreement. Don't you, do you, don't you think we live for certain, live in a time where agreement means acceptance? It has oh, yeah. to be. Yeah. We have lost the art of being able to stay in relationships with people yes. we disagree with. Yes. And that's uncomfortable, right? It's Nobody so knows what to do with that. They go pick a side, pick a side. And then you, we belong. We feel like, okay, at least I'm safe here. But then we punted often on a tension or yeah. a, a thing that has to be there that creates health and well-being instead of losing ourselves so true so what do you think right now the world like the it's no no uh um what's the word i'm missing the word alisa find your words it's not ironic that your book is released today uh and a day of like honestly as we're recording it there's a lot of um blackout tuesday people are going quiet on social media to learn um, you know, with uh, racism and ethnic equality. Uh, so what What does this book, how would this book just contribute to this time of, mm-hmm. of need? One of the things that is key in, in change, uh, or I should say what, one of the major barriers, I call it in the book, the three haters to change, justification, mm-hmm. minimization, and denial. And I would say justification right now is just, is rampant. Um, And Mm. I think justification is in order, and it kind of goes back to this idea of right and agreement and and Mm. acceptance. Justification Mm. is kind of saying like, in order for my existence to be valid, I need to justify Mm. why this needs to happen. Mm. And, or I need to, you know, in order for me to feel a sense of contribution. And, And I can speak to a really real experience of this. And that's, Yesterday, I was, uh, you know, launching a book. There's all these expectations that go into it. You want it to do well, and you want it to sell, and you want people to get the message. And and I was sitting there yesterday, kind of looking through social media, and we've ramped up this whole campaign to share about the book and get people to sponsor it and, Mm. you know, share influencers. And and I just felt this conviction of my heart of not, not right now. A friend of mine had shared on social media, like, hey, for those of you launching you name it. And books is one of them. Like, can we take a pause right now? And, and I would be completely lying if there was not a selfish part of me that's like, but no, I worked really hard and I wrote this book and I, and it has a great message and it's timely. Yeah. But at what cost? And that's something else that's really big in the book that I talk about is every decision we make involves a loss. Every single one. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we function, I think, too often from a place of either only focusing on gain or only avoiding loss. And so as I'm faced with this decision, my thought process is if my, 
if my passion, if one of my core values is relationship and community, then oh. I want to lose marketing this book. Like I, I don't, but I do. I, I want to lose marketing this book over gaining the support that I can contribute to my community right now. Mm. And that's a loss. That, that, that is a loss. Um, but I think pursuing, I don't think, I believe pursuing our core values and purpose necessitates that. And in this moment, what are you losing by being silent and not being silent in the way that we're not speaking up and advocating, but for those of us, especially as white majority individuals, what are you losing by feeling like you have to constantly justify things instead of pausing, Mm. listening and learning? Mm. That's good. That's so good. So law. Wow. I really encourage people to write to do such a good book and it's such a timely book. It's really, um, and really well written too, by the way, oh, it was a you. good, you know, not, it was a read where you felt like you were with a, a, a real friend who's telling you really funny stories too. Like <laughs> okay. the time, the time that your earring gets caught on a, <laughs> on a seatbelt or I something guess. like that. Like I, and I think you guys have, you have to go read it in the book. Like her wet seal earring gets oh. caught. <laughs> Because it's so darn dangly in the '80s, <laughs> but you get yourself in a situation where you like are embarrassed. Like, how did I get in this situation? You have to ask for help. It's it's in the radical acceptance it chapter. Is, yeah. um, but it reminded me. Well, one thing you mentioned the fact like that was in the time when we didn't have cell phones. Like, you couldn't just call someone for help. You had to sit and wait for someone to wander into your path and then yell help. And then it's disorienting trying to explain what's going on. And it reminded me, um, I'll share this story just to be bare with you in these shenanigans. I was in college, ASU. Yes. Yep. ASU going to take my like senior, like one of my last exams in school was just so much work for me. That's why when I read about you and your PhD, I'm like, God bless her. She, (laughs) and she hated it and she kept going. I would be out like week one. I'd be like, I'm out. This is not for me. I'll just, no, thank you. The Enneagram threes are quite stuck. Yeah. (laughs) You threes go. Yeah. The eights are like, I'll make my own path. Forget it. I don't need to go your way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was driving to school and I had to put in gas at the 7-Eleven and I had a Honda hatchback and you had a Honda too, I right? I did, Honda Accord, yeah. <laughs> I know, so I'm like, I am living your story. Yours is an earring and mine was a pinky. So I was pumping gas and I'm in a panic, I'm in a hurry and I saw that my hatchback was open of the Honda Accord. I'm like, oh, I got it. So I was put the gas pump on, you know, like you lock it to go. And I walked back to the hatchback and I pulled it open. I was in such a rush. I shut it and my finger got slammed in the back and it stuck. And the gas thing is like going, right? And it's at that point, it just starts overflowing. I'm in shock about my finger. And I'm just like, what do I do? And you just start yelling, help, like, help, help. And I'm in shock, help. But I remember this man finally came over and was just, you know, it's that whole, what's going on here? The vulnerability, somewhat of the shame, the embarrassment, but then you accept it. But the beautiful thing too, and I think, um, as you mentioned, it was the help of others. Like there's beauty in accepting and receiving. Like we're in it together. There is no accomplishment by ourselves. So. So, yeah. Wow. Look at that. We're Honda, Honda story. Honda story. Uh, yeah. Honda, Honda Accord. You said yours yeah. is a Honda Accord. Yeah. Mine too. Mine too. Honda Accord hatchback though. Were you a hatchback? I was not. I was a four door sedan. <laughs> I always joke. I grew up like a suburban mom when I was in high school. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, at least you had a car, right? That's true. That is very true. At least you had a car. Okay, before I let you go, I'd love to ask some fun little questions where people just get to know you in a personality kind of way. We're already learning so much. You had dangly earrings in the 80s, drove a hatchback, went to ASU. This is what I love about interviews. I mean, I love the books, but I really just more or less love how God like creates and weaves people's stories oh, to get yeah. them to the point of writing whatever message is on their heart. So, okay. Um, First of all, favorite way to move your body? Oh, I would probably walking. I love yeah. walking. Walk yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Do you, I, I mean, if I lived in a city, walk everywhere. It's amazing, yeah. I love yeah. that. And what's the weather today for you? Well, today it's 90 and humid. Woo! And a lot of where I'm literally right downtown, and so we have bridges in the city, and they're all uh-huh. up to prevent people from going downtown because of the oh. But um, I, still, I still figure out ways to, to walk or, or bike. I like doing that as well. I love biking too. I love, I don't like, not like the serious biking, like yeah. getting on my cruiser and just yeah. so therapeutic. Leisure biking. Leisure biking. I mean, I have my workout time, but I love to just move and walk that way. So yeah, when you told your story of walking in a city, I'm like, I, I would be her walking buddy. I would oh. do that. I love, visit sometime walk. Oh, I love, love Chicago. Been there. I love New York City, which mm-hmm. we're praying for New York City right now, Lord, and all that. Okay, so favorite way to move. Um, favorite pair of yoga pants or athletic wear, where do you get it? Or what brand? Ooh, I like, um, I'm wearing them right now. This would become my uniform. I don't know what I'm going to do when I go back to work. I'm, I literally think I'm going to show up to work in yoga pants, a blazer, and slippers. Because I don't know what else That's pretty dressy. <laughs> I like um, Athleta. Athleta, yeah. Athleta, is that how you okay, yeah. I, yeah. My, my stepmom got me onto that, and uh, I went a little nuts over, the, over, over Christmas with their holiday sales, but they're great, and they tuck it all in. I love that. They tuck it all in. They got that nice seat, like stomach belt going yeah. on. Everything's tight. Yeah, I love Athleta too, for sure. Um, coffee, tea, or kombucha? Coffee. Coffee? I am. I do. I know. I'm a coffee person. I, I'm like a a very habitual drinker. Which how many a day? Yeah. One cup generally. <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm not bad. I'm not. I'm not overboard. Although the pandemic and being at home has has been a little bit different. I maybe have two, mm. and then I and then I drink water. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's good. Not bad. I'm not here to judge. Just <laughs> just. No judgment. So maybe embrace uncomfortable and try some other things. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But no, you did. I mean, I've heard the coffee thing is, you know, and it's really big right now. Some people, I've heard up to four glasses a day or four cups a day. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I can't ask clients if they come in with symptoms of anxiety, mm. how many cups of coffee a day do you drink? Because I have had clients who've stopped drinking coffee or, or caffeine and their anxiety, boom, just goes down. Amazing. One thing you could tell and let others know about Jesus, what would it be? Mm, I believe Jesus's mission was embracing uncomfortable and that Mm. he every day looked at what was happening in the world and said, I'm going to do whatever I need to, to bring community together in ways that the world would never anticipate. Yeah. And we're called to do that as well. Well, I can tell that you do that, Deborah. People Thanks. must be really, are really blessed to get to have you as a therapist or have you as a friend. It was super delightful to meet with you today. Okay, so how can people find out more about you, follow, get your book? What should they do? 
Yeah. So they could get the book on all major outlets, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Moody Publishers, which is uh, who published the book. They have a 40% off sale going on. Nice. So that's a great place. And I've got a lot of resources and community on embracinguncomfortable.com. So, you know, we talked a lot about doing this together and accountability. I want to be that for people that may not have that circle of influencers in their own life. So embracinguncomfortable.com is a great place to check out more information as well. Love it. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much. Really, really grateful. You write another book, you let me know. Or if you ever want to come back, just let us know. Got it. You get the deal. Awesome. Thanks.